0: No, nine years. Last weekend, I've been involved at uh, the Willow Park Church now, and it has been amazing to just see the way that the Lord, um, the Lord, has been working in many, many, many wonderful ways. Just the fact of all those teams going off on mission, uh, and the way that lives have been touched, I uh, so appreciate what God's doing amongst you and the way the Lord is is moving, and so appreciate. Um, just the heart and thanks, Chris, for leading um, so well and of course, last year, I got to know Chris pretty well uh, through the summer, and that was that was fantastic and good to see Doug here, of course, and all that God has been doing, and so blessed and just see the longevity of relationships that exist within um, creekside here is is amazing and inspiring and beautiful. And if you can get out to those prayer meetings, um, you'll not be disappointed with the way that um, that we are praying and, and the way that the Lord is moving. I want to acknowledge um, uh, particularly, you know, uh, with uh, the Dobson family and their own pain and loss at this time. Uh, and uh, i thinking of Vanessa, her mom, siblings, um, children, grandchildren. Uh, this was a great shock. Vanessa, of course, is on our team. She's here this morning. I haven't spotted her, but she's here this morning. And uh, I feel a little bit um, a challenge because the scripture that I have been given to preach on uh, by Jeremy, he said, I said, do you want me to come and preach? Uh, Joel's preaching at Highway 33, so I'm, I'm, I'm free. And And I'd love to come, but you've got to go to south. So he's gone to south. I've come here. And Joel's wreaking havoc at at, at Highway 33, which is awesome. Uh, Getting ready for camp. Talking about send a kid to camp. And uh, preaching, um, clearly not from John's gospel, I doubt. uh, But uh, whatever God's laid on his heart. But I, Jeremy gave me, said, yes, you can. We're at John chapter 11. And I have, to, I have to trust that in terms of the grief that is in our community and the shock, that, that somehow this message will minister to all of us. And we think of uh, John in the UK at the moment and, and um, loss of the mother there. And I know that journey has been a difficult journey. And, and, and there we have the message of the death of Lazarus. Well, this story, this chapter, and it's, it's a lot of verses. It's 46 verses, so I'm certainly not going to go through it. And I'm certainly looking for a clock. And so I'm going to set my timer so that you feel like um, you will, um, you'll get out of here by this evening. Um, but I really uh, want to talk about this story. Many of you know it because many of you have grown up in church. It's a story... Of the death of Jesus' friend and the resurrection of Jesus' friend. It is a moment in scripture where we see the divinity of who Christ is within the incarnation. We see his power. We see the great statement that I am the resurrection and the life. We see this and we see the pain and the agony of Mary and Martha. We see the journey that they are on. The first word I want to mention about this scripture and... Let's uh, read for a few moments. Not all of it, but as we step into it. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judah. Perspective. Perspective is, is everything. I don't know you, about you, but I've lived in large cities of six million people. And one of the big nightmares of living in a a city of six million people, I live in the city of, grew up in the city of Birmingham, in the heart of Britain, and it is the second city, it is industrial. It is covered in motorways and highways. And it is famous because it has the longest traffic jam regularly every Friday evening in the whole of Europe. Sometimes I'm traveling down from uh, Manchester and I would join that traffic lineup that would last for 25 miles of traffic. Starting and stopping, starting and stopping. So you understand why I've moved to the Okanagan. And when we complain about the stoplight as you enter into Lake Country because of the traffic so bad, my old eyes do roll a little bit. (laughs) And when Kelowna people talk about Springfield, Enterprise and Highway 97 and how snarled up they are and how terrible it is, my whole body rolls at this. But I do know having flown and worked Nationally and across Europe with youth of Christ. So that often I'd fly into Birmingham and a plane would come towards Birmingham uh, International Airport. And it would fly over the highways. And as you looked down, you could see the ring of traffic around the city of that 6 million people conurbation. And you could see exactly where the traffic jams are. Because from above, you have a completely different perspective. And when you land, you avoid the bits you spotted. Because you know you'll be there until Tuesday and it's a Friday. And you watch out. You see. And then you make adjustments. But to be above something and have a different perspective is something different from being in it at the time you sat there in the traffic jam and you're worrying about what is in front of you, what is behind you, what is beside you. You're getting frustrated. You're getting angry. Life is not like La La Land in the opening scenes when they're in the traffic jam in LA and suddenly everybody starts singing and dancing. It's more like the 1990s movie Four Down when he gets out of the car and starts shooting everybody. Frustration, anger. And yet they say to you, when you're in the middle of a jam in your mind, in your life, in stress, what you've got to learn to do is go above it and look at the reasons for it. Because perspective changes everything. And in this story, we have a couple of perspectives that are there. We have, first of all, the perspective of Jesus Christ himself. And then we have the view of Mary and Martha and what they are traveling through. And I think that when we travel through difficult times in our life and we travel through hard times, it's hard to navigate God's perspective and our perspective and our pain. And Lazarus is sick He is ill. There is a problem. See, young David had the right perspective. Who is this uncircumcised Goliath that comes against the armies of the Lord? He is nothing when compared to the glory of God's army. That's the perspective. But this story symbolizes very often our own personal journey of when we go through difficult times and discouragement. This story symbolizes our battles often in life when we face the hardest of times and we can't get the perspective and we're asking ourselves at ground zero, we're asking ourselves on the ground, all I can see is obstacles. All I can see is pain. All I can see is difficulty. Lord Jesus Christ, where are you in this pain? Where are you in this difficulty? Because we face obstacles of children with sickness, family members with mental health problems, friends and colleagues with addiction issues maybe, marriages that aren't functioning the way that they should, and grief and pain and shock that we experience in the natural course of living on this planet which is fallen. It's tough. And this story gives us these two perspectives. It says, so the story is a family emergency. The youngest, Your younger sibling, uh, Lazarus, it seems, was very sick, probably from a, an infection. Before the age of cancer, uh, most people died from infections. And so he was probably having a fever. His breathing had changed. They could tell his temperature was raging. They could tell that something was going on. They were attending him again and again. Bethany as it's mentioned here, was a favorite spot of Jesus. This particular family were a favorite family of Jesus. He would come here and relax. He would kick off his sandals. He would be amongst people he loved. Bethany was, was a special place in Jesus' heart. And instantly in the middle of this emergency, if you notice in verse 3, so the sisters sent word, Jesus To Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Instantly, we know Jesus. We know his love. And right now, we're sending word, Jesus, come immediately and help us with this problem. But notice the word love here. It's interesting that they use the word love. And this love is the kind of love that is friendship. The love that is to do with brotherly love. The love of friendship, companionship, that Greek love of friendship. So they instantly thought, well, Jesus is our friend. He is our teacher. He's like our brother. We love him. He loves us in that that friendship way. He will come and he will help us. They almost expected Jesus to jump on a charge like a white knight shining in all his glory and, and start galloping towards the scene of the problem. But then notice verse 4, that when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for the glory of For God's glory, so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. That's almost an oxymoron, isn't it? I love you and I'm not coming. If my wife called me and said, darling... When the children have had a little fall, I need to go to emergency. Will you come immediately? And I said, I love you, darling, with all my heart. I'm not coming until Monday. She says, is that really love? It says, he loves them, but he did not come. What doesn't Jesus care? Isn't Jesus interested in their turmoil? Isn't Jesus... They're willing to come immediately to solve this problem. He, but it uses the word again, love. But it uses a different Greek word, love, here in verse 5. It uses agape. It uses devoted, committed, sacrificial, absolute sacrificial. No hearts, hearts bold holding on to. I will do anything for you. I am utterly devoted to you. Even if you are not devoted to me. The kind of God love that changes the world. So in one sense they had a picture of Jesus' love like a friend. And here Jesus, we learn the scripture, loved them with such deep sacrificial devotion. It is hard to believe that when we travel through pain and difficulty that God's devotion is absolute sacrificial and absolute devoted and he is with you and he loves you and he is with you even through the darkest times. Let me just say, he's not just like a friend to you. He is so devoted to you, even in the darkest times, that his love is there. That his love is present. And the word here, agape, says this is total, sacrificial love. That's how much he loved this family. So why would he delay? Reminds me of Joseph, God's love for Joseph, but he ends up in prison. God's love for Joseph, but he ends up in a pit. God's love for Joseph, but he's forgotten in that prison. Why would he delay? Well, often we experience delays. Because God wants us to see his glory more than we can ever imagine. So that God may be glorified. Often we have delays in our journey because he wants to strengthen our faith. And often we have delays because God's timing is not our timing. And God's plan is not always our plan. And God's time frame doesn't always seem with our time frame but let me know you can trust even though how difficult it is you can trust that God's love is agape towards you and his time frame he's doing something it's hard though I go back two years ago I think and to comfort my grandfather 93 who's dying I sit with him for three nights and on that Monday evening, he passes into eternity. Two days later, not to be beaten, if you know my mother, my mother on that Wednesday then climbs into the shower, 70 years old and dies instantly in the same week. How do I process the delay, or the moment, or the grief, or the pain? I have to believe that the delay is part of God's love to strengthen me, to... Help me to grow that God's timing isn't always my timing. I do not understand it, but somehow God's love is constantly there for us. And that's the great Christian mystery with the world that we live in. That God loves us, and yet He's not coming instantly. And you can imagine that they're, they're moving in and out, they're, they're, they're watching, they're waiting for his return. You know, Lazarus' breathing is getting softer and softer. And if you've been with somebody, you would know they'd go in, they'd see him breathing, they'd come out, they'd go in, they'd see him breathing, they'd see him drifting away. They'd go out onto the hillside of Bethany, look down the road to see where is Jesus? He's not coming. Where is Jesus? I can't see Jesus. Jesus, I need Jesus. Those days would have been repetitive as they went out expecting his arrival, but he never coming. It's a hard place for them. And then, of course, he dies. and it's over, the funeral takes place, the, the women would have led, Mary and Martha would have led the procession as they would in the ancient world, there would have been tears, the dust would have gone in the air, they would have gathered around the tomb, there would have been speeches, they would have opened the tomb, there may have been other people, those particular tombs cared for had eight people in a tomb there would have been uh three on either side and two at the back of the cave itself so there may have been other uh relatives and individuals in that cave and they placed him in and they thought it was all over but then jesus decides to come you got this lovely exchange that we can't get into between Thomas and Jesus. And that Thomas is sort of saying, um, his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus, in verse 13, Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. That's a very cheery fella. So they, they made their way back. And who comes and meets but Martha? In verse 29, it says, When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out and met him. But Mary stayed home. She would have stayed on the floor. They would have been sat around. They would have been eating certain food. Uh, historically, they would have been eating boiled eggs, a round loaf, lentils, because they would have eaten the eggs and the round loaf to symbolize that Lazarus was rolling into eternity was a tradition at that time. But Mary rushes out. And verse 20, when Mary heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Wow, where were you when he was sick? Where were you? in this problem. You see, instantly, Martha, and it's probably what they'd been saying for the days before when they were waiting for Lazarus to pass. Where is Jesus? Where is he? Where is Jesus? Why aren't you here, Jesus? Why aren't you? And that is a question many of us battle with at times. Where are you, Jesus? Where were you, Jesus? When I traveled through that problem, where were you, Jesus, when we faced that pain? Where were you, Jesus? It's a good question. Where were you, Jesus? But then she became more religious. (laughs) And she said, Lord... I said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. She see, she kind of went from, from, oh, Jesus, I'm so confused. I'm so upset. I'm so, where were you? But we know that God is with you. She went from that kind of Christian thing that, yes, it really sucks. But Lord be praised. Can I tell you something that is a misconception in Christianity. When you go through the darkest and most painful times of your life, you can be honest. You can be open. You can share your woundedness. You can be honest with God. You can bring your pain. You can bring your frustration. You can bring your disappointment. You can bring your agony. Because God wants to engage with us at our very deepest level. And he understands our pain. He understands our pain. And so often the delays we experience are because God's glory is at work. But often what we fail to do is express even, or we feel guilty of expressing the pain that we feel. But you can, you know, to Jesus. The laments of the Psalms of David teach us that you can share. What you're going through. And this teaches us that our perspective could be down on the ground. But we have to remember that God's perspective is higher above. And that actually when we're going through it on the ground. It's okay for you to pour your heart out to Jesus. That is the most beautiful thing about my relationship with Jesus. The ability. In my confusion and my own grief and my own pain to pour it out to him. Even when the grief feels like I'm going mad. Even when I feel like I'm completely disorientated, I can pour it out. And so Jesus said, Your brother will rise again. And she's now giving good theology being good. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection and on the last day. Yes, yes, I know. I'm, I'm theologically sound here. She says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And the one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He takes it from ground level and he takes it back up high and he reminds her of the eternal plan of God that there is life, that there is eternity, that there is heaven, that your perspective is this. Do you believe that one day I will come and one day I am the resurrection? Do you believe that one day death will be defeated? Do you believe that there is hope even in the middle of great darkness? And here she says, next to Peter's confession in Mark 9, for example, one of the most profound professions within the whole of the New Testament. Yes, Lord, she says. Verse 27. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. In the darkest time of losing her brother, still there was this ability within her to confess that he is Lord, he is the Messiah, he is in control. And this is the journey we live in Christianity. We have such hope all the time. And yet at times we travel with pain and disappointment. Mary runs out. Verse 32, when Mary reaches the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You see the repeat of the verse? Verse 21, verse 32. Again, they've been sort of singing this lament. If you had been here, it would have all been fine. Do you really care? If you'd been here, it would have been great. If you'd been here, you'd have made the infection go away. If only you'd been here. But the truth is, that even in the middle of our darkest hour, Jesus is always with you. He's always with you. He's always traveling with us. Lord, if you've been here. And then we really have where I want to land it. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, verse 33, he was deeply moved in spirit and trouble. The NIV is a little weak here. In the Bible translators as they worked with this text, I feel. Because the actual Greek translation here is that Jesus was deeply moved. Is an image in the Greek of a shuddering of a horse that neighs and just shakes with all its power. as suddenly, realize something, this horse releases this this. Powerful expression of shuddering agony that comes out of the mouth of Jesus. That moment... Everything within Jesus shudders. Everything within Jesus shakes. Everything within him earns as he identifies with the grief. And he looks at the sisters. He sees the pain. And the scripture teaches us that he shudders to his very core. That really comforts me. That when I am traveling through darkness and obstacles and difficulties, and I'm asking the question, Lord, where are you? The answer comes from heaven. I'm right with you. And I am shuddering. I am shaking. I am breathing. The whole of my being with agape, with love, I am holding you, I am with you, and I love you. Maybe you've been through a divorce, and you felt so broken, and you have thought you'd never get over it. And yet somehow, as you're flat on the floor, Jesus has come and held you, and you feel the rejection and the pain, and he shuddered with you. Maybe you've been through bereavement. He's shuddering with you. Maybe you've experienced bankruptcy and loss. He's breathing, shaking. He's seeing the tomb of that experience and he's present with you. And then we have the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. I don't think it even needs much comment, does it? Why would he weep when he knew that he was going to call the body out? Why would he weep when he knew that he delayed so God's glory would come? Why would he weep? And I want to remind you, you've probably heard it again and again, the reason he weeps is because he weeps with our own personal journey. He is with you. He's with you. Perspective. And he weeped, tears literally staining his face, crying uncontrollably. And I remember that week when my mother and my grandfather died. They, it wasn't my mum's father, it was my dad's father. And my mum was his daughter-in-law, but they'd been divorced, my mum and dad, for years. But they lived in the same town, that are two miles from each other. But I remember that evening and that week and the weeks to follow, when grief would shudder through my body. But I remember the sweetness of Jesus's, as it were, tears on his face. C.S. Lewis said that grief is a valley that you travel through. That turns and twists, and you never quite know what's next to come. But I know that when I travel through a valley, those twists and turns, and the emotions surprise me. I'm amazed that Jesus is weeping with me. What a Saviour! What a God we serve! You're saying, Phil, I thought you'd preach resurrection. And he gets to the tomb. And there he shouts. And they roll back. And out comes Lazarus. And there it is. Take your grave clothes off. Get there. The glory of God. The resurrection. Yeah. But to get to the resurrection, you have to travel through the journey. You have to travel. And I want to finish here. I want to finish from a different perspective completely, and I want to finish in Revelation 21, verse 4. So we're in the ground zero. We're in the ground and we're seeing the obstacles. We're seeing the sickness. We're seeing the pain. We're seeing the shock. We're seeing the questioning. We're seeing, why Jesus? We're seeing Jesus weeping with us in our pain. But let's just take that hot air balloon up to 15,000 feet and remind ourselves this truth. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. I am the resurrection and the life. The story is never over. The story is never ended. Because a day will come when he will wipe every tear off every eye. And those that mourn, there'll be no more death. And there'll be no more crying. There'll be no more pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Amen. That's the truth of the gospel. That's the power of Christianity. God's victory often looks very different from our idea of victory. But the cross, the crucified Savior, has traveled through our pain. Traveled through crucifixion. Traveled through the journey. And was nailed to that cross so that in every way God shudders and weeps. At those dark times of our journey. But we know. That he's the resurrection and the life. And we know. That every tear one day. Will be wiped away. C.S. Lewis called it the Shadowlands, And sometimes in life we travel through uncertainty and pain. A kind of shadow land where we're wondering what is God doing? And yet we have to trust that even Jesus can stand outside a tomb and say, come forth. Maybe there's a dead situation in your life. Maybe there's a problem that's in the tomb. Maybe there's a difficulty you're facing and you've lost faith to believe that that issue can come alive again. So many symbolic pictures within the story of Lazarus that reminds us, what is our perspective? He doesn't care. So three points come out of this for me now this text one i have to trust even though it's tough and i find it so hard that the delays i experience in the answer of jesus coming are delays there so that i can see god more the delays are there so i can grow in faith and the delays are there so that i will be strengthened i have to trust that when it's not happening The second point is that I understand that it's okay for me to lament and be honest and to tell, it's not about just Christian cliche, but to tell God what I am going through. And that's a very important part. And ask God questions. And often when we ask God questions, even in our heart, God will often whisper answers and surprise us. And thirdly, when I weep, he weeps. When I battle, he's battling with me. When I shudder, he's shuddering with me. And finally, he is the resurrection and the life. He is victorious. There is an age to come where the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will rise and the glory of God will come. And this is the hope of our salvation that we will live eternally. And as C.S. Lewis said, this life will be like the preface of a book. And then each chapter, when you get into heaven, will get better and better and better. And when you think the chapter could not get any better, it will just keep getting better. Glory to God. The salvation of Jesus. But the journey through the valley of the shadow of death. Final point. Which is about my sixth final point. There are ways in which we grow deeper with Jesus. Theologians tell me. There are moments when we grow deep in Jesus through immense study. We go deep. True. Study, meditation, scripture transforms our inner character. Secondly, they tell us that we have an experience in the power and work of the Holy Spirit. A moment, a crisis moment they call it, of where God meets with us. Often you had that at camp as a teenager. God blasted you. Flawed you, if you like, and you change. And then they say, there's the valley of pain. This is my experience, having studied theology, having experienced an encounter with God's power at times in my life that has been so remarkable. And having traveled through periods of pain and disappointment and obstacles, I have found that I've grown the most in intimacy with Christ. Not through study, not through the power of that explosion, but through the journey of pain. And I've come out the other end, no longer two-dimensional Christianity, but I've come out the other end knowing he is the resurrection and the life and one day I look back and I can even thank God for the journey of the valley of the shadow of death what a glorious faith we have let's stand together Maybe right now, you have questions. Maybe right now, you need the Holy Spirit to come and minister to you in your pain, in your Bethany experience, in your journey of obstacles. Maybe now, you've got questions. Lord, if you'd come earlier. Why didn't you? I found that when I've asked Jesus questions, where were you with me? When I traveled through that, where were you? I've discovered that the Holy Spirit whispers healing answers and helps me change my perspective and helps me to see his wisdom and his heart. And so Lord, right now I pray For every dear person here. That whatever they've traveled through. And whatever they've connected with this John 11. I pray God. That in the middle of their darkness. In the middle of their Bethany journey. In the middle of that. Process. May they know. And may I know your perspective. In my life. May we know. Your spirit of comfort. Your presence. Your love. Surrounding us I ask. And we thank you. For Revelations 21 verse 4. We know the end of the story. We know the end of the story. Thank you, Jesus. Let's have a moment of silence. you. May Jesus comfort you. May the love of the Father hold you. Amen.